I'm entitling the message today, Start Right, But Finish Well. You know, a lot of people get started right. They just fizzle out. Uh, they, they, they start off in, in the first two weeks in January, and they've got their big list of resolutions, and before the month is over, that's all gone down the tube. I mean, they just got off track. Now, it's one thing when you've done it three times. It's another thing when you've done it 45 times, 50 times, 60 times. It gets frustrating at some point because, you see, life is not something that just starts. You, you don't just go to first base in a baseball game. You got a second base, a third base, then you come home, all right? People say, well, you know, I, I just get on first base and I just jump up and down and somebody takes me out of the game. Well, that's because you're supposed to keep moving. You're supposed to, to be everything that God has created you to be. Now, listen, in this passage of Scripture, and I've had an opportunity to be by myself a lot of hours and just to think about the future and today and, and what this really means, this scripture is so profound because it is simple. So I guess you could say it's simply profound or it's profoundly simple. I don't know how to put word first, but this is the key to something that I have never had it any clearer in my mind than I have it this morning, and I hope I can communicate it to you. It's one thing to get started right. It's the one thing to know that, that you're on the course that will keep you on course and where you must function mentally, emotionally, and spiritually correctly to know that God has a plan for every life. God makes no junk. There are no failures as to God didn't have any purpose when you put you here. It was just an accident of nature and you came and don't know what to do with you. No, this scripture is so clear. Listen to this. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Now that word husbandman is an old English word, and it literally means the master of the house. Now here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine, but my father, God, God the father is the husbandman. Now listen to what he says to us. Abide in me. This is verse 4. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. But now listen to the last words. For without me, you can do nothing. Now visualize for just a few moments this morning in our brief time together what it is like when you hook into God. You are adopted into the family. You are eternally adopted into the family. You come into this family unique, not like any other that's ever come into the family of God, but God has a specific plan for your life. Now, there's one thing, though, that Satan knows, and that is if he can break the vine off from the branch and where the vine does no longer get its strength and food, spiritual food from the, the vine, then he can win. But as long as the person gets started right, grafted into the vine, and that branch 
stays there drawing out all the nutrition that it needs spiritually to do what it's created to, to do, then good things happen. Now, if you look at this and understand that one simple thought, am I grafted into the vine? Have I become a part of the family of God? Have I been born again? Have I, have I done what God has said for me to do? And that is to make the request to be grafted into the family of God, to be a born again Christian. Have I ever done that? But you see, God created Jesus in order that those of us that look through eyes and ears, hear with our ears, can see what is God like. Jesus was God in the flesh. Now, now please follow this. The mistake that a lot of people make, they, they start right and they fall off the tracks is they, they get flesh and blood and they look at that. They see somebody that they respect. They think they're spiritually strong. I want to be like them one day spiritually. And so you start focusing on them. And God said, please don't do that because they're sinners just like you are and the devil's still attacking them. You've got to stay focused on me. You've got to know that, that you can do nothing to get back in the family. I don't throw you out of the family. I want to live my life through you like I do everyone else, but stay focused on me. Don't even look in the mirror and get mad at what you see in the mirror. And it can go that far. You, can, you know, when you start talking to yourself in the mirror, it's bad. And when you start talking to yourself, it's bad. And it's really bad when you start answering yourself. I mean, you really need to talk to us about our wonderful counseling center at Sagemont when you get to that point. But here's a neat thing about a first of the year or starting a new beginning. You know, there's first child, there's a first marriage, there's going off to school for the first day of school. I mean, all of these first. But everything that we do, if we make a commitment today, everything I do in word or deed, this is the way the scripture puts it, I'm going to do it to the glory of God. I am going to stop and look at my decisions on what will bring glory to God. And if it brings glory to God, it's going to bring joy to me. And I am going to have what I want. And that is God to live out my life. But don't try to manipulate God. He's God. We're not, but he looks at us and says, I love you. I made you one of a kind because I had something to do that nobody but you can do. All of us are in different environments. All of us have different places we go and different folks that are around us. But to live like Jesus, which is what we're instructed to do, is to be like Jesus takes supernatural power. You can't live like Jesus in the flesh. You can't do it by your own uh, drive, your emotions, your mind. You can't do it that way. You have to have something in you that's greater than, than in the world. And if you don't do that, then it's, it's not going to happen. Now, here's what Philippians 1.21 says. This is the way Paul put it, because here's a guy that started off murdering Christians, and now he is, without question, has blessed more Christians than any writer of the Bible. Here's what he said in Philippians 1.21. He said, for me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. What he's saying is, God lives in me. And so I don't have to keep myself right. I got to keep myself out of it. But I let these hands be God's hands, this mouth, God's mouth, these eyes, God's eyes, these ears, this brain, you name it, my talent, my position in the world, it all belongs to God. Listen to 2 Timothy 3. He's writing to a young man, Timothy. Paul is getting on up in years, and here's what he writes. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Could I put that in just a brief sentence? How in the world do you live the godly life. How, how do you live the life that God wants you to live? You know what the answer to that is? Obey the scripture. That's it. Obey the word. Whatever it says, you believe it. As you read it, you accept it as God's word, and then you practice it. Not many highly gifted people, highly gifted in what way? Intellectually, physically, uh, people of great wealth, people that are very popular, much high in society, and a lot of people pay to go see them or hear them or whatever. The Bible says not many of those kind of people are called. Now you, if you've lived very many years, you've seen them fall almost weekly. Great athletes, great actors, great singers, wealthy people, politicians, preachers, and going down the list. You see, the Bible says quite the opposite. It says God has chosen the foolish things of this world in order to confound the wise. God does not want any of us to get so wealthy or so good looking or so popular or whatever so that people look at us and think they're looking at him. That's not what God does. God wants, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw people unto me. He needs a lot of people like the guys that brought this pulpit out a while ago. God's called me to preach but how can people hear without a preacher? How can there be one unless they be sent? And the help that comes from just putting this here where I can put my Bible and my notes is a vital part of everything that comes off this platform. Every song that's sung, every note that's played, everything that we do, it's all about Jesus, 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 Jesus. But so many of us, want, we go to these self-improvement courses and I've gone to a lot of those. I've been humiliated pretty soon afterwards. I'd, I thought after I'd paid my money and listened so good and took so many notes that I was really improved. And then people around me assured me that I wasn't. And so kind of, you know, kind of hurts your feelings. But the point is, God doesn't bring you to church for self-improvement. He brings you to church, leads you to church so that you can have about an hour of praise and worship to him. It's about him. It's about him. 
There's a time when God wants to feed us the Word. That's the reason for Bible study and so many other things that we do, mission trips, all that kind of thing. But there's also a time to worship. But John 15, 5 says, without me, you can do nothing. Obey the Scriptures and you'll live like God. So if you say, but I don't understand the Scriptures, you know why you don't understand them? Because you haven't read them. The Bible is not that hard to understand the parts that have to do with how our life are to be lived. It is so simple. I have seen on many occasions, five, six, seven-year-old children that have an incredible, an incredible conviction about praying, hearing Bible stories, acting out dramas, singing to the Lord. Little children do that. Why? Because God says, that's what I want my little children, and we're all little children to God. He says, I want you to praise me. I want you to love me. I want you to be reminded of me every day, and I want you to share me with everybody you come in contact with. That's what God wants for us. But Satan can convince you that your wealth, your position in life, your background, your intellect is so good, you don't really need God. And those poor folks that have to go to church because they're not wealthy and they're not strong and they're not talented and they're not gifted and they're not uh, high and lifted up like you are, you don't need that kind of thing. But But the scripture real quickly says, God's right and you're wrong. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And he was an extremely gifted man, extremely educated, greatly respected, But it was in his weakness that God was made strong and he was made strong through God. Anything we accomplish apart from God and his power is eventually going to amount to nothing. Folks, you're looking at a man that has preached and attended many funerals of once famous and once wealthy and once well-known And once highly respected people that had very few people at their funeral. It didn't live on. It didn't stay. There was that time because it was the thing to do. But then all of a sudden, it went the other way. It's very easy for a winning team to fill up the stadium. It's not very easy for a losing team to fill up the stadium. In Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of the power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God is saying to us at the first of this year, Hey, Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Be grafted in me. You be the branch. I'm going to be the vine. I am going to flow everything I have out to you. But you have got to stay attached to me. Don't run off from me. And or think you've done. You can't even do that, but we think we can, and so we just drop out. We just quit doing it. Those that are older are going to remember. You won't. You you weren't around in 1878 when this was written. And you may say, I don't think I've ever heard the name of Elisha A. Hoffman. But if you'll look around this room and see people over 50 years of age, when I start reading these words, 
they're going to start smiling. And down at the cross where my Savior died, down where from cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. What's the next lane? Glory to what? His name. The name of the song is Glory to His Name, written in 1878. But here's my point. When we decide at whatever time, we just happens it's, it's good to have a new year, fresh start, and all that kind of stuff. Now we can, our, our card is maxed out, so now we can spend the rest of the year trying to get it down to zero so we can have a Merry Christmas next year and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's so wonderful when you realize, hey, you know what? Doesn't matter how much I've messed up. There's still a God in heaven. He still loves me. I want, I want him to be glorified through my life. And I know what I'm doing wrong. I'm depending too much on credit, relationships, physical appearance, popularity, and I'm not depending on him. And where there was a time when everybody wanted to put me up on a pedestal, now they just come to my funeral after my overdose and after my tragic fall or whatever. The secret to the future is knowing in whom you have believed. And you've committed unto him your life forever. Then and only then can you look forward to every day with Jesus because it'll be sweeter than the day before. You can't grow without being attached to the vine. The vine is attached and it is locked in. It is God in the flesh. We are forgiven if we're believers and we know Jesus loves us. And if Jesus loves us, he says, I will withhold no good thing from those that love me. And rather than looking for 25 points to put in your notebook as to 25 things you need to do, what you and I need to do today is make a fresh commitment of our life to the Lordship of Christ and say, wherever he leads, I'll go. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I am going to do whatever I can to carry out the mission statement of my church, which is Sagemont is, we're to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Jesus will motivate us. He will calm us. He will comfort us. He will fill us with his love. And then he'll use us. You say, well, pastor, I, I know a lot of people who say they're Christians, but, but it's obvious by their attitudes and their actions and their apathy and their anger and their selfishness that little mirrors the life of Jesus. I just don't see Jesus in them. They have the talk, but I don't see Jesus in them. I notice they handle life's problems just about like everybody else that doesn't even claim to know who God is. Well, there may be a situation that you found yourself in that you've gotten so far in it that you're not willing to break out of it and say, I'm coming to Jesus. I am going to forsake everything. I don't care what people think. I don't care 
what is going on in the world? I'm coming to him. I want to be grafted into the vine. I want to be everything God created me to be. Verbal commitments sometimes don't take root. It's easy to talk the talk, but it's very hard to walk the walk. But the Lord has said, look, I know that, so I want to I lift you when you fall. I want to guide you when you get lost. I want to provide for you when you don't have any provisions whatsoever. I want to follow you. If you're not willing to lock into the powers that are free, freely available to you, your New Year's resolutions, if they're not already broken, they're going to be. You have to go to that moment of I can do it only, only through Christ, which strengthens me. I'll give you five things real quick, and we're going to go. Number one, you're serving Jesus maybe for the wrong motives. I'm talking to people, and you faithfully serve, but you're miserable. The reason could be wrong motives. Wrong motives. Let me ask you something. Did you ever know anybody that ever quit the church because they didn't get anything out of it? Have you ever heard that? I see heads going like this. I see others wondering, now, what'd you say? What I said was, do you ever meet anybody that said, I don't go to church because I don't get anything out of it? Let me ask you a question. Where did you come up with the idea you're supposed to get something out of it when you come to worship God? It's not about you. It's about him. Amen. You understand there's a difference? We're here, folks, to worship him. We're here to praise him. We're, we're, if we've been living in sin, thank God that he didn't zap us. That he's a God of a second chance. We don't have church services because we want you to like what you hear or see. We're here because we're trying to create an atmosphere where he shows up. And where he shows up is where whosoever will may come. Where he shows up is when the Bible is inspired and errant infallible word of God and it is taught. Where he shows up is where people are willing to forsake all to follow him. Where he shows up is where people are willing to admit their sinner, confess their sin, repent of their sin, and receive him into their life and follow him all the rest of the days of their life. It's not about what you can get out of it. That's what the world wants. Every time you walk in a store, they want what they can get out of you. Every time you watch a commercial, they, they put it up there, what they can get out of you. I mean, it goes on and on. And so we come to church with the same idea. I've come here because what I can get out of it. No, friend, no. You come here to worship him. That's what the first day of the week is all about. We forsake all and follow him. Praise his holy name. You think people go to football games because the hamburgers are good and the beer is cheap? I don't think so. I think they pay those ridiculous prices because they get excited about the game and they want their team to win. You know what? I get excited when I come to church because I want Jesus to win. I get excited when I take card after card this morning of grown people giving their heart to Jesus Christ today. That excites me because everyone's a touchdown, 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 touchdown. And you know what? If you get Jesus, he's good in the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter where the wind's to your back or in your face or the sun is in your eyes or behind your back. He is God. 
and nothing is too hard for him. Now, some of us are pretty good challenged, would you not admit? You say, boy, if God's going to change me, he got his work cut out for him. He can handle you. That's the reason this Bible is just full of people just like you and me. And God handled every single one of them. Then not one of them could mess him up. But they did one thing. They grafted onto the vine. They said, I am going to be locked onto Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we will be accepted of him. What do you want to hear when you get to heaven? Well, I want to hear where I live and see if it's far away from my neighbor who went to church with me and I knew how they lived. No, don't worry. One of you won't be there. But what I want to do is, Lord, when I get to heaven, I want to just fall at your feet and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your free gift of salvation. Thank you, God, for not passing me by. Thank you when everybody, I never got chose first for anything. I was always a leftover. The last three of you go play on this team. The last three play on that team. That's one of the most embarrassing things a child ever has to go through. But you know what? The Lord says, I'm not going to only put you on my team. I'm going to adopt you into my family. And you're going to be my kid. You're going to be my daughter. You're going to be my son. And everything I have belongs to you. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own the hills they graze on. I own the moon, the stars, the sun. It all belongs to me. And you're my heir according to his riches. And every time I focus on Jesus and really think about Jesus and read all these red letters that you have in your Bible like I do in mine, you know what it makes me want to do? It wants me to love him more. It makes me want to be like him. Uh, I just glanced down here, 15th chapter, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I want to love you. So continue you in my love. It just makes us want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Too often, we go the self-improvement route. Real quickly, number two. Sometimes, instead of honoring Jesus, we become methodical and legalistic in our approach. To worship and serve. Folks, relax. Be still and know he's God. You can worship him. Go to bed thinking about him. And wake up thinking about him. Always feel free to pick up the word and say, Lord, would you just speak to me through whatever passage of scripture you might choose. You say, but I don't understand that. Oh, yes. If God lives in your life, the one that wrote this book will interpret it to you. But you have to get alone where God can do that for you. That's what he wants to do. And you've got to let him do it. Are you happy today? Are you excited about life and the future? When we love Jesus, we do right on purpose. You don't have to be a good actor to be a Christian. You don't have to be a big performer. Just be you. Cry when you want to cry. Laugh when you want to laugh. But want to be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would he do? Whatever situation, how would he handle this? Another problem, number three. Sometimes we over-spiritualize our relationship with God. Let me caution all of us. Be careful. When you say, God told me to do this or do that. Sometimes we get very emotional about God. And we start 
saying things that he did not say. And that can cause great confusion on people that listen to us with authority. God is a God that wants to lead us day by day, individually. And when God, the best way God can speak to me is this, okay? That's his written word. And as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, and I want to say it to you again today, and you'll hear, hear me say it some more because I don't want you to ever forget this. I just picked up on this myself. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read this book out loud. And God will speak to you out loud and use your own voice to do it. This is God's word. This is it. And so read it saying, God, speak to my heart. He not only wants us to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, to be learners of the scripture and then apply them in the way that God wants us to go. We, you remember, <laughs> there was a comedian on television years ago. His name was Flip Wilson. He had a character called Reverend Leroy. And Flip Wilson was a, a black comic, and he was Reverend Leroy. And he, and he would always had this one-liner. And his one-liner that he was famous for was, the devil made me do it. Anytime anything would happen, he the devil made me do that. You know, well, you're a preacher. You know, why did you do that? The devil made me do that. Well, that's good. He can blame it on the devil and all that kind of thing. But it's better just stay right here in the word and just say, God, speak to me through the word. God, let me take the word to somebody else. Don't, I'll take the word. I will digest it, filter it, change some of your verbs, change some of the tenses of the thing. And then I'll go out and tell people what I think it said with a few little additions. No, just read the word. And you know what? If you'll just read this word, you know what he's going to tell you? And I can look at some of you and tell you, you've already lost it for this year. Let me tell you something. Just trust him. Just trust him. You say, but he don't know how I feel. Oh, yes, he does. He knows exactly how you feel. And you say, yeah, but I'm mad at him. I can't talk to him right now. God says, you just talk to me. I can handle your madness. I've had a lot of people mad at me through eternity, the Lord would say. My child, I will listen to you. I will hear you. I will receive you. I will forgive you. And I will lead you in the way of truth. And the devil will finally quit, quit messing with you because he knows you're grafted to the vine. The reason the devil keeps getting after some people, they're not grafted and the devil can just treat you like trash. But that stops when you start walking with God. Never let the world blame God for something that you told them to do or not do out of your personal feelings. That's what we're trying to say. Give your emotions to God with no desire to make yourself happy, but just to glorify him. Then get in the scriptures and look and see what does God want you to do. And obedience to God will take care of the good or the bad feelings if you'll just do that. Number four, others do not have a meaningful relationship with Jesus because they do not realize the love and the power they have available. Folks, it's available to you. There's not one thing that's available to anybody else in this room that's not available to you. God has no favorites except one. His name is Jesus. 
But to the rest of us, he says, I love you and I want to live in you. And I don't want you to be like somebody else. I may have worked in their life in this way, but I want to work in your life another way. But let me live my life through you. And finally this morning, willful sin against Jesus, the Son, destroys our relationship with the Father. You understand that? If you have a child, you know what? You pick on my child, you, you got to deal with me. That kind of an attitude. The Father says, the way you treat Jesus is the way you're treating me. And when you say Jesus is not the only way to heaven, the Father is saying, I became flesh. I went about for 32 years and performed miracles. I raised the dead. I healed the sick. I let myself be nailed to the cross. I was buried and with the best military forces on the planet, the Roman government and the Roman soldier, I rose from the grave to sit at the right hand of the Father. And you are going to take the position that you do not believe that my son is the only way to heaven. You don't believe that I chose and I said all the way back in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. I set it up for thousands of years and I fulfilled every detail of the prophecy in Jesus. And you're going to take issue with my son and say, I believe there's a lot of ways to heaven. I think there's a lot of religions you can be a part of. I want you to know there is nothing that offends God like you're rejecting the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. That is a slap in the face of God. You say, well, I'll take that chance. May God have mercy on you. You are dealing with the Father when you reject the Son. You cannot reject the Son and expect to receive the Father. My brother-in-law sent me a text the other day. My Bethel's brother, he watches us on Living Truth. And uh, he was the vice president of the Kroger. I love him dearly. But he sent me things every once in a while. And he sent me the story, and I'll tell it to you real quick, about the artist that had, uh, or the art collector that had some of the greatest paintings that, that the world knew. They were phenomenal. They were worth millions of dollars, and they had an auction. People came all over the world to see this auction. And when they got up to do the auction, there was one thing in the will of the painter, and he said, but I've got a picture of my son that was just quickly thrown together, and I want you to auction off the picture of my son first before you go into my paintings. And so they did. They brought it up. The people were booing and hollering and, and angry. As they looked at that picture of that, of that boy just sloppily painted and the auctioneer wanted to auction off. They'd come from all over the world to bid on these million dollar paintings. And what happened was they brought it up and nobody wanted to bid. And finally they got the bid down to $100. And the guy built, bid $100. Nobody raised the bid. The auctioneer came down with a gavel and the auction was over. And then the auctioneer said, ladies and gentlemen, this, au this auction is finished. They began to scream and holler. 
well, when are you going to do the others? He said, no. He said, I have the will here of the artist. He said, whoever buys the sun gets the entire collection. Let me tell you something. Whoever gets the Son gets the Father and the Holy Spirit and all that's in the heavens and all that's in the earth belongs to you. But you have to get the Son. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. Now, you understand? You can be dead broke. You can be physically, the doctor said, you only have six months to live. Don't you worry about that. You'll never die. You'll never die. That's what the book says. You will have life everlasting. 